Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, um, your scriptures tell us this is the day that you have made and that we should rejoice and be glad in it. And God, that's hard for many of us. This doesn't seem like a good day. It doesn't seem like a good week. God, for many of us, it doesn't seem like a good 2020. And yet you tell us to rejoice and be glad in it. And oh, Lord, 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 that would be my prayer um, for today as we look at your scriptures. That somehow, as we hear from you, believe you, are blessed by you, God, our response would be that we can rejoice no matter what the circumstances are out around us because we have built our life on your truth and your love and the certainty of who you are and what that means for us now and for all eternity. And so, God, there's many of us today. It'd be really, really fun for us to learn more about you, become more like you. And God, there's many others that right now are just not so certain that you are good or loving or gracious or even real. So Jesus, what we understand your scriptures is you do that work. You make yourself known. You reveal yourself. So God, would you do that? And God, would you give many people listening to this, many people watching this, God, would you give them the courage to actually believe in you and therefore be blessed by you and respond by worshiping you in service and in word and in deed. And so God, would that happen as a result of us opening up your scriptures and pursuing you, or at least, 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 God, being open to the idea that you could actually be real and loving and gracious. So this is a day you've made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it, and we're going to ask you, God, to please, please, please have your way in our living rooms, in our, in our, through our phones and computers. Holy Spirit, you can do those things. And would you speak directly to our hearts about who you are and therefore who we are, and about what we can do as a result of what your empowerment in us so that we can become more like you and then serve you way that you have served us and served this world. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, glad to be with you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. In fact, today we're going to cover seven verses. It's going to take us a little while. Seven verses. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, going through 46. But let me just remind you of where we've come from. So if you're brand new, this is helpful because you'll, you'll be caught up to speed. And So our world is uncertain. Nobody's arguing that, right? We are uncertain about school. Tell you a little bit about that today. We're uncertain about what that means for our kids. We're uncertain about our jobs. We're uncertain about our 401ks. And boy, is there a lot of uncertainty. And as we think about that uncertainty, one of the things that all of us are trying to um, cling to or find is just what is true. What is true about um, the news that we read? What is true about our own lives and our own families and our own plans? Like what's true about all those things and what I found great comfort in? And I hope at some point, maybe you're not there yet, that's fine, no pressure. I'm not going to try to convince you of this. But what I hope that you can eventually discover is what we found comfort in, many of us at this church, is that truth is not some kind of idea, but it is a person. And his name is Jesus. The reason we know that is Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so you go, I'm not so certain. Okay, that's fine. I completely understand that. And there is a brilliant uh, doctor turned uh, historian, turned investigative journalist, turned private investigator, right? His name was Luke. He was a real human being 2,000 years ago. He's captured in our scriptures. He's captured in first and second and third century historians' writings. And Luke was a doctor who was hired by a guy named Theophilus, a wealthy, what we believe was a Roman official, to do exactly what we're trying to figure out today. Can we be certain that Jesus is Lord? Can we be certain that Jesus is King? Can we be certain he died, came back to life? And so Theophilus hires this brilliant scientist. Science is not anti-God. In fact, I'd argue that science actually points to the goodness of who God is and how he works in our life and our world. And so Luke, this medical doctor and scientist and now uh, a journalist, right, this investigative journalist, uh, he is going to give us some uh, conclusions, understanding our Theophilus and therefore us in the gospel of Luke about who Jesus is. And this is really interesting. Because some of the things that we got to sort through is whether or not Jesus' miracles were true. And a lot of his miracles had to do with the way that he interacted with the human body. He made blind people see, lame people walk, dead people live, right? And so it makes sense that a, a, a medical doctor would investigate that, right? Some of the other claims are that Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, it'd be nice to have a medical doctor chime in on what he thinks about that. And it, uh, one of the other big statements of the, of the gospel, the thing that kind of centralizes the truth of what we get to live in today is that Jesus actually came back to life. He was dead and he resurrected himself through the Holy Spirit, right? And that same power that brought him to the resurrected life is available for us today. So if a dead guy comes back to life, it makes sense that a 
scientist and doctor would get to offer some commentary. So Luke, this gospel writer, uh, sets out on this journey to help Theophilus and then us know, and it tells us in Luke chapter 1, that to have certainty about the things we've been taught. So we just been slowly and methodically, because that's the way Luke writes, walking through his scriptures that he wrote 2,000 years ago, right, for us today to go, can we be certain that Jesus is Lord and King? Because if we can, then that changes everything. That changes how we interact with our families. That changes how we view our world now, and it definitely changes how we view our legacy and eternity, right? So Luke has been helping us with this, and Luke basically tells us, hey, there's three things that he did. He went and he gathered all the written documents. That's the Old Testament. The, all, the, all the documents that were declaring and pointing to the fact that one day that God would send a way through Jesus, that he'd make a way where there was no way, that he had not forgotten us, and that he was bending and shaping all things for our good, and his glory simultaneously, right? So Luke says, hey, I went and gathered all the written documents, all the Old Testament stuff, all the New Testament writings, that'd be the, the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, these biographies about Jesus' life, and I compiled all of them. And, and then not only to do that, I went and I had eyewitness, uh, I took eyewitness accounts, meaning I went and sat down with the people who walked with Jesus. We believe it's a real possibility that Luke would have sat down with Jesus' mom. Remember the virgin that has the baby, Mary, probably in her old age. She's no longer Mother Mary. She's probably grandmother, maybe even great-grandmother Mary. And we believe Luke would have sat down and asked her what that experience was like to have an angel come talk to her, to birth the Messiah, right? This immaculate conception, just so uh, crazy, right? And so we believe Luke would have not only gathered the written documents, he tells us that, and he would have had eyewitness accounts. So he, uh, he would have sat and asked these questions to these people. And then he also says that he also went and took care of that. He, he took in the oral traditions. 95% of the men, 98, 99% of all people at that time couldn't read or write, right? They were just illiterate. And so the way by which information was passed was like we're doing now. Someone would stand up and talk and share the story, and there were pastors and leaders who were like the curators of the story of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And so Luke would have not only gathered all the documents, right, and got all the eyewitnesses and investigated and asked them questions, took notes, you know, all those things. He also would have gone and listened to and captured, because most people couldn't read or write, right? He would have written down and captured the stories that people were speaking about this Savior that entered the world, Jesus, right? And so he gathered gathers all these things so that we can be certain of those things. So that's what Luke does. He uh, introduces us to that in the introduction, and we get this beautiful, beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke, right? The biography about Jesus' life, and has 1,151 verses. The biggest gospel, the longest gospel, the one with the most content, the one with uh, more parables, the one with more miracles. That's the Gospel of Luke, and what's really, really crazy is of the 1,151 verses, five Hundred and sixty-eight, almost half of them, are Luke's direct quotations and citations of Jesus's words. If he is the way, the truth, and life, it would make sense. We pay really careful attention. So we're going to see as we work through this over the next several months, if not years, right? Um, the story of Jesus and his own words. But what was so interesting is Luke decided to give us this gospel, and yet he is still not. Now we're you know thirty-nine verses in, we're going to be forty-six verses almost, I should say, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, right? And he still has not quoted Jesus yet, right? In fact, Jesus isn't even born yet in this, in this scenario. Now, he's alive, and you'll see that, but he's not even born yet. And so, okay, if Luke's going to give us this gospel, help us understand that, how we can be certain of who Jesus is, then it kind of seems weird that he doesn't start with Jesus. And so we've kind of been investigating, you know, read it last, or pay attention to the last couple of weeks, listen online, you know, those kind of things, that he actually starts with some lay right? An old lady, then a young lady. Really, really interesting. And this is what you got to hear here as we walk through this is the gospel. Christianity is the most uh, level, uh, field leveling, earth leveling platform for all people. That's men, women, and children. All races, right? To be welcomed in and get to participate in the kingdom of God. So in the first century, women had uh, very little value, and their value was directly tied to their ability to have kids, right? And so Luke starts with this story of a lady named Elizabeth. She's old, past the time where she should be able to have children. So in other words, her value was completely diminished. She is not worthy of anything. She has zero worth in terms of the way that Jewish culture and Roman culture, all cultures in that time would have viewed her Elizabeth. So she's old and 
God is going to prop her up. And Luke thinks it makes sense that we start with this lady who probably has some pain, some sorrow, feels like God's forgotten her, feels like there's no hope and no joy and that things are never going to get better. You know that story, right? That, that, the, that the, every day you wake up and the, everything's just gray, right, and dull, and you just work your day just hoping to arrive safely back to your pillow at night and just hope to get through the day. And then eventually, we don't like to say this, but the reality is we hope we arrive safely at death sometime in the distant future. That's the story of Elizabeth and our story. And so God is going to start with this old widow who the world would have said has no worth, has nothing to offer this world, and yet she has everything to offer the world. And God shows up through this angel named Gabriel. Only one or two angels kind of mention the scriptures by name, angel uh, Gabriel Michael. And he tells her that she's going to have a baby. And he, de- he declares that baby's going to be its name, God's gift, right? It's going to be God is gracious, and his name's going to be John, but he's not the greatest gift. He's actually going to point to the greatest gift, because all good things, all good things are not our end. They just point to that which is the end, which is Jesus. And so John's going to show up, and he's going to make some uh, declarations. And one of his beautiful ones that he tells us in Luke chapter 3, we'll get there eventually, is he's quoting Isaiah, and he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, so that, and, and make every crooked path straight so that all flesh, all man, all humans can see and know God's salvation. So what I hope happens here is as you see as Luke is preparing the way and showing us Elizabeth, who's going to lead us to John the Baptist, what we're doing here, what he's doing here, is he's removing all the obstacles, all the places we would have uncertainty. Why? So that we can actually see Jesus, which leads me to the second person Luke kind of uh, highlights in, in the story, and that is Mary. Again, her worth, her value is... Um, in what she can, uh, what she can produce, offspring, right? And so the difference between Mary and Elizabeth is Mary has no, uh, Elizabeth has no potential or kinetic energy, right? She is on the end. So at this point, Mary has some potential energy, right? Could she, she could still produce some kids in the future right now. She's just a 12 to 14 year old girl who probably just annoys her parents or, and the village. And she's not seen as much of anything at this point, but one day, maybe, 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 maybe she'll be able to produce some offspring. So the jury's still out on her and her value. And so God's going to take an old lady, right? And then a young lady, right? Propping up women in the scriptures to show how his news gets declared. By the way, when Jesus gets resurrected, Luke's going to capture this, right? Dr. Luke, and tells us that he came back to life. Guess who's the one who gets to share that with the people? A different Mary, right? The first gospel declarer, the good news of the resurrection, also shows up through a different woman. So you got to hear this. You got to hear this. That the Bible and Christianity is not anti-women. In fact, if you were to survey the history of the world, it's actually Christianity that esteems and gives and uncovers, not gifts, the value that God had always, always given to women. In fact, you want to look at our world now. You want to see where the, the greatest opportunities for women are. It's in Christian countries with lots of churches. So this misnomer, this misunderstanding that the Bible and Jesus are anti-women is, is, is a lie. And so Luke tells us in the first few verses, he is going to highlight a bunch of women. Now, understand he highlights another guy named Zechariah, but he's pretty silent. He's pretty skeptical, and he is struck mute at this point. So he finds out this news. He can't believe it, and he kind of questions it. And, and basically, Gabriel goes, hey, you're going to need to take a time out because you're going to have to process what you can be certain of in God. And so during Elizabeth's pregnancy, literally Zechariah cannot speak. We'll get back to that in a few weeks. But then we have Mary. She's about to have a baby. It tells us she's uh, betrothed to a guy named Joseph, but we don't know about Joseph yet. What we will find out later is Joseph is actually going to start scheming quite quietly on a way to divorce her or separate himself from her because she is pregnant with God, with Jesus, right? But no one can believe this. This is a crazy story. And so what happens last week is we saw that Gabriel showed up and said, hey, not only is Elizabeth going to have a baby, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she gives us, he gives us this beautiful picture of who the Christ is, who Jesus is. We get a real understanding of everything about Jesus. You can go back and listen to that from last week. And so we find Mary hearing the story, and, he, and they go, um, Here's, here's the reality, Mary. Nothing, hear me, nothing is impossible for God. Really good news, right? Nothing is impossible for God. And, and then he goes, hey, here's what's really crazy. The way you can know that is you can look at your relative Elizabeth. She's old, right? And she is with child. She is six months pregnant. You can go put your hand on your belly and you can feel John the Baptist, right? John, you can feel the, the front runner, the forerunner for Jesus. You can feel him kick, right? 
And, and so he tells her that. She gets excited, and she basically says, let it be as it is according to your word. She's going, yes, I will, God. Yes, I will. So a child. You know, about to have a child, right? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. You got to see a middle schooler, junior high schooler, maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school, and this girl just finds out she's going to be impregnated, pregnant with the gospel pregnant with Jesus. And that's where the story left off last week. The submissive girl who goes, I'm going to believe. I've heard God's word, and I'm going to believe. And so now we go, well, what does Mary do next? Two people on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Early girl, not valued very much. An old lady, not valued very much. And God and Luke is going to prop these folks up so we can see a beautiful story. So that's where we are. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read each verse. We're just going to uh, talk about it. You ready? Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And here is what it says. In those days, so Mary just said, yes, I will, according to your will. She so go, what does Mary do next? Like, what does she do next? Does she hang out? Does she go tell the news? Does she, you know, go back to collecting well water every day and collecting firewood. What, what is it she's going to do? And it says in those days, in the middle of all this, Gabriel makes this announcement. There's this movement of the Holy Spirit that uh, allows her to conceive, causes her to conceive. The Holy Spirit does the work. And so what does she do next? In those days, watch this. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a t- town in Judah. It's interesting where in verse 39, it'd be easy just to kind of bypass this and go, okay, she's going with haste. I mean, she has some urgency here. So she wants to get somewhere. So she's just got this news. All this has just happened. And so she needs to go somewhere. She's going to do something and go, what is she going to do? Now, what would be really easy to bypass here is that term with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So you know what it means by hill country? That means lots of elevation change. You follow me? And when it says to a town in Judah, I showed you last week, I want you to understand this, that there is, um, where the story begins is at the temple with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is south, and it's got this big temple. This is kind of what you'll see throughout the Gospel of Luke. He's going to kind of go into the temple, show some stuff, pan out from the temple. Jesus is going to show up in the temple, and then pan out and do some things all over the area. And so uh, uh, the temple is in Jerusalem, which is in a region, state might be a term that you can understand there, and it's called Judah, right? So Judah is this big region um, where Jerusalem kind of sits, and what we know is Zechariah and Elizabeth live in some little tiny village up in the mountains around Jerusalem, somewhere around there. And so we find that. Now, um, north of Judah is a place called Samaria. It is a place that they would have referred to such racism and bigotry and anger between Jews and the, what we call the Samaritans. That's why the story of the Good Samaritan, the only Luke captures, by the way, is so important because Samaria was considered half-breeds. They were not godly. And there's this racist bigotry this prejudice for everyone in Samaria because they didn't really follow the true God. They entered their own false and fake religions, their own culture. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans and in turn the Samaritans hated the Jews. So right above Judah would have been Samaria, right? Jews don't go through Samaria. They just don't. They just stay away from it. So the way by way, and then right above Samaria would have been Galilee. In Galilee, there would have been lots of towns and one of the towns that we learned about last week was Nazareth. Okay, so you got to see this. Nazareth is far north of, uh, of Judah, of Jerusalem, of these little hill country villages, right? In between was Samaria. And so there would have been kind of an arc you would have made around Samaria to get to Judah. Now, if you want to measure where we think it possibly was, where Elizabeth and Zechariah uh, lived, versus where Mary uh, lived in Nazareth, as the crow flies, somewhere between 60 and 65, maybe 70 miles. But in order to get there, it would have been about a 90 to 100 mile journey. So when Luke is just telling you this one little thing, what the people reading this would have understood is, this little girl, hear me, this little girl, Mary was a little girl in my opinion. She's the age of my son. Little girl, right? I won't let him go down the road by himself, right? This little girl, it tells us, she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. This 13-year-old girl, walks 100 miles. Luke, who is very thorough, doesn't tell him anybody goes with her. Can you imagine? Think about this. A 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl, young, barely pregnant, right? Is now going to walk down a road for miles and miles, 100 miles. Do you understand how long it is? No cell phone. 
no way for correspondence. No way to prepare the people where she's coming that she's coming, right? She goes with haste. She finds this, uh, this, this news, and she goes with haste, meaning she's heading that way. Can you, can you see the craziness of this? Like, hey, teenage girl, right? With broken men, with broken minds all around. She's going to walk right through there. Can you imagine the craziness of this? You go, does she not count the cost? Is she not aware of how that works? Is she not aware of what it means to travel that long? I mean, who takes her food? Does she have a backpack? She's in her first trimester. If those of you have been pregnant in your first trimester, you know how tired you are. She is literally going to walk. I don't know if she has a backpack. How does she eat? Where does her water come from? Who does she stay with? You understand? So when Luke says this one verse, it goes, oh yeah, she's just walking down the road to go hang out with a friend. No, she is traveling a hundred miles on her own. And so you go, why in the world would she do that? We got to ask that question, right? If Luke is telling the system verse 39, we got to figure out why she wanted to chance her safety. Now, by the way, the God of the universe is in her belly right? She is perfectly protected, right? So, I mean, she's going to be okay. Maybe she's confident in that, but you still understand. Even if she's confident, she knows she's confident. That is still a long, long journey. You guys look for the closest parking lot at Walmart, right? You, we, don't, we don't like to walk. Maybe if you want to get your step, but 10,000 steps is enough for one day, a couple miles, right? Do you understand? She is traveling on her own as a teenage girl, all sorts of vulnerable. So why in the world does she do this? Don't want us to miss it. And this is what it tells us in verse 40. And, so she travels with haste to the hill country, meaning she's, she's walking up mountains and hills, right? She's climbing in the middle of the heat, dusty roads, no, like, you know, orthotics in her shoes, probably sandals with a flat bottom, right? This is crazy. And so she finally gets there, and so where is she going, and why is she doing it? Verse 40, and it says this, and she entered the house of Zechariah, and greeted Elizabeth. <laughs> I need you to notice this. It's so funny. So it tells you whose house it is. And in that time, that, the, the men would have been the landowners, the house owners, that kind of thing. So Luke is just giving us some understanding. So she walks 90 to 100 miles, and she shows up, and she enters Zachariah's house. And it says she greets Elizabeth. We don't know if Zachariah isn't at home, or if she's like, you can't talk. So Zachariah can't say anything. So Luke goes, hey, what'd you do, Mary? Well, I just said, what up, Elizabeth? Right? So she travels 100 miles to go see her relative Elizabeth. Now remember, just a few verses earlier, the angel said, just as your uh, relative, we don't know if cousin, we don't know if aunt, we know she's a lot older, is with child, so will you be. Just as, because nothing is impossible with God, right? And so she is going to see um, some affirmation in that. But it's more than affirmation or confirmation. You go, why in the world is she willing to travel 100 miles? And guys, this is this is so important. It may take a second, and we might camp here for a while. Do you understand? Do you understand that she wants to go and be with and connect with in community, in unity, and worship this good news? Like worship, not the good news, but worship Jesus, worship God, worship the Messiah, worship the Savior as a result of this good news. And she values community in this. So she's going to go be with someone who's like-minded. There's no one else who has this kind of crazy story. She's going to go be with someone who's like-minded, who she loves and adores and cares for. And collectively, what you're going to see happen is they are going to worship Jesus together. They're going to go and gather and marry, marry, marry. It's willing to do whatever is necessary, ever is necessary, to go be in community, right? And so, greatest story in the world really the greatest story in the world, the greatest miracle in the world that God gets a body, Jesus puts on the body. And so what happens here, and the greatest story is the first thing we see is we see people get gathered together to worship, right? This is, this is community. This is community. The greatest story in the world, and you go, how does she survive this by herself as a teenage girl? Well, it's really, really simple. She doesn't do it alone. You see this, right? Like the value of uh, connection and so we think about this right now. This isn't, this isn't on the scale of finding out that you're going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. But there is so much going on in our world, and the question is, how do we survive this? And how do we not only survive this, how do we enjoy it? And can, how do we say, this is the day that the Lord has made? How do I rejoice and be glad in it? How do we survive and thrive in the middle of what's going on around us? See it with Mary and Elizabeth. See it with Mary. Great, great news. And what does she do? She goes and finds community. In other words, she does not want to be alone in this. She's willing to travel 100 miles, put up her safety, do all those kind of things to be in community. And I would just tell you, 
wholeheartedly that the story of the gospel and the story of how we participate in the gospel and how we sustain ourselves in the gospel it literally tells us in hebrews 3 chapter or chapter 3 verse 13 that we should encourage our one another daily right there's got to be some kind of community uh, uh, encourage one another daily as long as it's today meaning this is don't wait till tomorrow encourage one another speak this into one another so that no one's hearts become hardened by sin's deceitfulness, right? All these lies that are around us, all these things that we occupy our time and our minds with, whether it's behind a computer screen or in a bottle or in a, you know, a pill or whatever it is. And, and, and whatever those things are, gossip, all those things that we just occupy our time and all of our energy, that stuff will eventually harden our hearts. And the only solution to that is actually to be in community and it says daily. And so one of the dilemmas that we face as a church is this COVID deal. And many of you are asking, and I so get it, and boy, do I feel your hearts in it of going, hey, when are we going to gather together again? And what I think you're asking, maybe it's not, maybe you just are used to your, we got to get through our, we got to get back to normal. We got to get back to our routines where we go to a church, we empty our sin bucket, go back out in the world. But what I think your heart and soul are asking is, when do we get to be in community again, right? When do we get to gather again? Because look, the only way that I'm going to be sustained in all of this is actually to be in some community. Mary, understand that she gets, you know, immaculate conception. First thing she does is she goes with haste travels 90 to 100 miles probably by herself to go be in community because that is the solution for the, the, how we survive and thrive and find joy and peace in the middle of crazy circumstances. And so many of you are going, well, how do we do that as a church? And I just want to, I want to catch you up to speed, guys. I, I really do. And take us a few minutes and I'll get back into the scriptures. It's, it's complicated. In fact, as we've sorted through it, we decided, okay, let's at least gather in the parking lot, right, as a church, right? Um, for those of you not in uh, Pennsylvania, in the neighboring area, um, there's uh, some mandates, some guidelines of going, hey, uh, you can't gather together. And it was for a while. We were in red phase and yellow phase. In the yellow phase, you could gather in groups of 25. And we're going, well, how do we do that? Do we help people get in groups? And, but we can gather outside in groups of 250. So we're going, okay, let's do that. And so, you know, uh, you know I guess June maybe, we, we started meeting back outside and uh, to be honest with you, we thought it was temporary. Okay, let's get a couple weeks here. Let's at least be able to worship together. Let's get going. We'll set up. We, we have the resources to do that. We have staff and volunteers who are ready to do that. We have a stage where we can worship outside, and we have a radio transmitter and sound systems. Let's be good steward, stewards of all those things, and let's do that. But candidly, we, we thought it was a temporary solution as we started talking about that. We kind of looked forward to July. Um, in fact, the end of July, we're going, let's actually— have a, a, a dry run, a dress rehearsal on that last Sunday in July to um, come indoors. And so we would be indoors. You could uh, sit, uh, you, know, uh, you know, socially uh, distanced or, you know, physically distanced, like that term better. And so right now I'm, I'm preaching in the sanctuary and I'm looking around and there's like ropes that are just kind of, uh, of shaping out different areas where you can sit in the pews, seats that you can't sit in. And, you know, there's signs that say reserved for worship team or this pew is closed. I'm looking at it, right? And so all that kind of gets charted up and kind of um, planned and in, in the middle of July. The staff did a, a fabulous job kind of doing that. We wrote a big, or, uh, big frequently asked questions saying, okay, here's what we can do. Here's the guidelines. Here's what this looks like. And we also understood that not everybody wanted to come inside. So we had a plan to go, okay, we'll still stream this whole service and, you know, outside on a 20 foot wide, you know, television screen or LED screens. We've been working on that, trying to make that happen. So our goal was to make that announcement uh, towards the two thirds of the way through July, then have it where you could kind of reserve a spot inside and then also do outside. And that was just our goal. And that's what we're going to do for a while, kind of a hybrid model, still do online. So we still do this, but also have it outdoors. So those of you that didn't feel safe, many of you indoors, those of you did, and we were surveying you guys and 52% of you said, yep, I'd come indoor. 48% said, nope, I won't. So we're going, okay, how do we, how do we do all those things and so we're kind of wrestling through all this stuff and then as as you know middle of July there was a a new announcement that um indoor versus outdoor you can no longer have indoor gatherings of more than 25 people and we're going oh no now we're back in the spot it was 250 we have a large venue we can make that happen and now what do we do now in the in the uh the small fine print, or not really even that small or that fine print, but there is a statement from Pennsylvania that goes, um, religious organizations are exempt from this. So uh, what that means is we could actually gather indoors. So we go, okay, well, what do we do? Do we gather indoors? Because 250 people can gather indoors. 52% of our church would be willing to gather indoors. And we could create opportunities outside, inside, because we understand that there is a longing and a need for us to gather together. Mary shows us that she goes a long way to worship. She goes a long way to be in community. So we go, how do we do that? And we we wrestled through it candidly of going, what's the next right step? 
And um, where we ended up, and just so we're all on the same page, is we decided it wasn't the right time, not just because of fear, not worried about fear. Jesus is driving this. We trust him in this, but more about what's going on in our world, in our community, and particularly those, the, the, the fear on the outside, not for us as Christ followers, not that we're afraid that, uh, of, of all the things that outsiders might be, right? That we believe that the Holy Spirit protects us and guides us, and we believe that God's kind of already chosen the day that we're going to go be with him, right? And so not that we're anti-science, yeah, but we could catch the virus. I think I caught the virus at some point. So this isn't, God is going to keep us from all that, un, uh, all that, 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 those ailments, right? But we could still gather together for those of us who feel confident and those who don't, we can kind of love them outside. But what we started realizing and wanted to be really, really careful is, is that we didn't want to be a stumbling block for those that we're trying to reach, right? Uh, all around our community, there's 80 to 100,000 people within 10 miles of our church who do not know Jesus. So how do we help them know Jesus, right? Like, and it's gathering together while a governor is saying you should not gather together, while we get an exemption and we can waive our rights and freedom, is that the most appropriate thing to do in light of a bunch of neighbors who are, are abiding by the rules and the laws that are in front of us right now? And just because we have the freedom, we wrestle with should we use the freedom? And um, what you need to know here is that it's actually um, our methodology that drives... Our, I mean, I'm sorry, it's our theology that drives our methodology. By the way, it's also our theology that drives our ideology or ideology, right? In fact, you're going to hear that in just a second about uh, being pro-life and talk about abortion. We're going to get there. This is what the scriptures kind of lead us to, right? But what we, uh, so because our theology drives our methodology, where we were kind of led was the first Corinthians 8, where these Christians were looking around and going, hey, there's a, there is meat being sacrificed to to false idols. And we're invited to the parties where they're sacrificed to false idols and they're serving up this meat. And we know that they're not real gods. So we're not worshiping these trinket gods. We're not doing those things when we have access to this meat. You can go read it. First Corinthians 8. But we think we, so can we eat it? Because it's good stewardship not to waste good meat and good food. So these folks are laying down this meat to false idols. And if we don't eat it, it just goes to waste. So why wouldn't we at least not waste a slaughtering of an innocent animal, even though it's to a false god, right? Couldn't we eat this and enjoy it? Do, Paul, do we, do we have the right and freedom to do that? And Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 8, he goes, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really matter. You can eat it. There, you have the freedom to eat it. You have the right to eat it. You're not going to get arrested for eating it. It's not going to mess up your spiritual journey. God's not going to be angry with you for eating. In other words, you have the right. It has been circled for Christians. You have the right to eat meat to false idols. But then he says, but in choosing that right, it is possible and likely that that right and that freedom that you wave and declare could actually cause your brothers and sisters, your community, to stumble in viewing who God is and understanding and worshiping and trusting in Jesus. That literally, by just choosing and waving the banner of rights, we actually could stand in the way of people who haven't actually fully got that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is enough. Right? And so Paul even goes, so as for me, what I've decided to do is if there's any meat that I could eat, that I have the right to eat, that could lead someone else to struggle, then I'm not going to eat the meat. And so we kind of rest through this going, okay, the scriptures, okay, we have the right right now, but there's kind of a, there, it's in italics, like this just because we're a religious organization, not because uh, the government, the, uh, the health officials in our community think it's appropriate, but they're just going, yep, but you have the right because we can't tell you what to do. And regardless of how you feel about science or regardless of how you feel about people's opinions of masks, this is not the conversation about it. The reality is this is a, a, a severed community with lots of battles. And we decided for now, not for always, that the right thing to do would go, maybe we should just surrender our right to gather inside of a building, lay down our comfort of being able to come inside the air conditioning, give up our comfort and our freedoms, give up our comfort and our rights for the sake of loving our community. Well, if that means sweating outside, if that means for a little while continuing to go to church online, that seemed to make the most sense in how we honored God. However, I agree with you, right? How, how do we, okay, we're good neighbors, want to be good neighbors, but how in the world do we still do what Mary and Elizabeth so desire to do, which is gather together? How do we gather together? 
And so the way that it's worked in our church for, you know, last several years is we've really put a lot of energy to imagining this great facility. If God's given us this facility, then the goal of this facility should be to, to, to be used for our community, right? So if we get to forego property taxes, our church should be more valuable to our community, even if uh, for non-believers, then the, the value of the property taxes that this place would generate if this were not a church and instead were a neighborhood. So how do we do that? And so we kind of said, how do we make this church kind of the, the hub, the center of the village? And so we kind of put our energy into imagine that. And a lot of energy has gone to the weekends. Like how do we host movie nights here so people can gather here? How do we have festivals? And how do we create a event here? Laser tag, daddy-daughter dance, those kind of things. How do we have trails or treat? Use our trails to love our community well. So how do we help people gather here? And then of course, how do we help people gather for worship here on Saturdays and Sundays? So a lot of our energy has gone. Let's help people gather here to worship. And then let's help them get into groups during the week outside. One of the things that's happened in light of this and our inability to gather here, we've kind of inverted that. Same mission. We want to make it simple for people to connect to Jesus and one another. But the plan is, hear me, hear me, hear me. The plan is to help you gather in your homes, in your neighborhoods, right? So when we think about how we do it here, we kind of have this three-pronged approach. We want to uh, build excitement. That's kind of been how we do worship. I want you to hear this and be excited about it. Most of that's been focused on inside of our building. And then we go, we're going to help you build foundations. The idea that you are so excited about the gospel. You go, how do I learn more about Jesus? How do I become b- uh, more like Jesus? And inevitably, as becoming more like Jesus, what will naturally happen, you won't be able to help it, is because when you become more like Jesus, you have his thoughts, and you have his heart, and when you have his heart, you can't help but serve other people. That's what Jesus did. He served the least of these over and over and over. He came to, uh, to serve and to seek and save that which was lost. And so as a result of that, what inevitably happens is because you've gotten excited, you started building bridges or building foundations. You can't help because of what Jesus does in you to actually go and build bridges. And so we've imagined how do we help our church build bridges? That's both on how do we create events here at the church that we love people well, but in order to build a bridge, you have to have footings on both sides of the ravines. Or how do we do it here? And then how do we have to do it in our community? So how do we go to Lincoln University? How do we go to First Friday in Oxford? And imagine ways by which we build bridges. But all those have been kind of let us focus on the weekend and make that happen. Use our building. Use our, all of our people kind of in, a, in an assembled fashion. And then how do we help you get in groups during the week? And so what what's kind of happened here is we're going, well, what if we didn't actually focus on the weekends here? What if we didn't imagine that we had to get people to come here to gather for church and worship? What if instead we imagined what it was like in Acts chapter 2 where it says they broke bread daily? That'd be in their homes. So what would it look like for us to help equip you to host your own church services, right? We, you can do it. We can help. So how do we create an, an online environment? We're still working on that. That you can actually hit play on your TV and you can invite your neighbors into this. Why? Because we understand the value of, of, of gathering. And we understand that at some point our neighbors need to hear this. So how do we equip our entire church family not to invite people into this building, in this sanctuary, but how do we do it to invite them into our living room, invite them into our kitchen, or invite them into our backyard, you know, small gatherings, less than 25. We can do that. It's allowed, right? And how do we actually put, instead of one, two, three church services across the weekend, what would it look like to host a hundred church services all over our community, and how do we help you do it? In other words, you can do it. We can help. And if you could see the value of gathering the way that Mary did, she walked 90 to 100 miles, maybe you could see the value of gathering and go, I can, I can vacuum my, my, my carpet. I can do my dishes. I can have the courage to walk across the street only 30 yards, knock on the door and say, hey, I'd love for you to come hang out with me. Let's have a meal together. Hey, would you like to, and, you know, go to a church service? Maybe there's folks that have been going to church but can't anymore as a result. Let's go, hey, do you just want to go to church with me here? So you can do it. We can help. So we're imagining, how do we actually bring the church to you and then going, okay, how do we actually develop robust small groups? Robust small groups, either online or in your neighborhood. So instead of using just a church building, we'll still use it, but instead, how do we help you do that? And so many of you, I want you to hear this. You've, you, you've got to see the value of gathering. You're going, yeah, I don't have that. I don't have any community. Right now, right now, would you just hit pause and would you pull up an email and would you send it to, would you go info at clcfamily.church and go, I just want to be, ga- I want to gather, I want need community. Just put, I need community, right? Or you can you're gonna go to our website and click on the connect card on the signups page and just fill that out and we will follow up with you. We understand in a ton of our energies and go, how do we help you get into circles where you have genuine community, right? Mary saw the need for that, walked 100 miles for it. Uh, I double dog Jerry to have the courage just to hit send on that email or that connect card, right? So we see that. No, the other part of that is not only do we want to help you gather and worship, help you gather in community to build foundations. But the third one is we want to actually help you 
build bridges into your community. So what we've done in the past, once you hear this, please, please, please don't bail out on me here, okay? What I want you to do, I want you to hear this. Um, what we've done in the past is we, you know, we, we've kind of used our resources. We have a mobile coffee shop. We have inflatable movie screens. Now we have this 10 foot by 20 foot, you know, on a mobile trailer that we can pull places like a, a big TV screen that you can use during the day or at night. We're going to use it for worship. We'll use it for the show Eagles games and other sporting events in our, in our uh, parking lot so that we can continue to build bridges on this side of the ravine. But what we're, what we're doing right now is we're kind of building this outreach in a box. Meaning, you can throw your own party in your own neighborhood where you go, I would like to show a movie. And we'll go, you can do it. We can help. Here's, here's some ways you can make some invites. And you can invite your neighbors. And then you can, we'll, we'll, we'll pull in the sound system. We'll, we'll pull in the movie, right? And it'll pull right up and you will have your own party just so we can start building relationships with our neighbors. The reality is there's very few things to look forward to right now in our world. Let's give them things to look forward to. And then let's do it, not just to have fun, not just to bring a party, right, so that we can build a relationship and then invite them into community, right? Mary saw the need, 100 miles to get gathered in, into the community, right? So how do we help our, our church family, help our community do those things? So imagine instead of focusing on the church building on the weekend, let's focus on your homes and your neighborhoods and your workplaces. You can do it, and we can help, right? If Mary can walk 100 miles— you can walk to your next door's neighbor and knock on the door, right? A little bit of conviction there, I hope, but that's the story of the gospel. And what I think is happening as we are seeing this move, that's hundreds of years in the making where we've put so much energy and time in making church about a building, and you know it. You know it. If Jesus lives in your heart, you know that the church is not the building. You know you're the church. We're the church. So it's time for us to figure out how collectively we can care for each other, uh, collect our resources, and go and build bridges and offer gatherings and community to our community because you know we know we need it and so do they so mary goes and does that and she shows up there right and now one of the last thing i'll say about that is as we're thinking about this and understanding that uh it's gonna be hard for us to gather we're gonna, we'll, we'll be back in here guys we'll be back in here and we'll keep you apprised to, as we're moving forward right but one of the hard things for me and probably for you too is well god's given us this building plus we have a new london presbyterian church and it can't be so that we can preach a sermon on video. I mean, I'm sitting in an empty room with just two people right now. It can't be that. So, but the weekends are going to be about gathering at home. So kind of the inverse is going, well, how do we actually think about using our facilities, both this church facility and New London Presbyterian Church, during the week? So what we're doing right now, and you could really help us with this, is we're trying to imagine how do we use all of our facilities for those of you who need to telecommute now. We have great internet, we have air conditioning, and we have bathrooms. Many of you also have kids who are going to school virtually. We're praying as a staff trying to figure out what to do, and we want to help. So is that we need to help provide childcare and tutors while you go to work, or do you just need a really great space where your kids can work, but you can also work, right? Or to help you assemble into some cohorts of families where you're kind of sharing the burden. And so if you have any thoughts about that, right? Any thoughts whatsoever, here's what I need you to do, okay? Really, really important. I need you to email Molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at clcfamily.church. Molly at clcfamily.church, so we can start gathering that information to figure out in the next couple weeks how we pivot to go, how do we use our facilities, God's given them to us, to, to love our community well in the middle of some crazy chaos, right? And so how do we do that? And so we're still imagining all those things. And now, Back to the scriptures. And it says this, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want you to hear here real quick is, this is a baby in the womb, right? And so the way that Luke, remember, physician Luke, uses this term to talk about what many people would argue is a fetus, right? He's calling a baby. Now, once the baby gets out of the womb, Luke is still going to use the same term. So in the womb, out of the womb, same term. Like, I can't come up with a better argument in terms of the scriptures else that goes, life begins at conception, and we got to figure out how to love people well in the middle of those things. Let me just run through some other verses that Luke uses. Remember, Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, where he's going to use the word baby, sometimes in the womb, sometimes out of the womb. What I want you to see here is God is declaring that all, all is life from conception to death but even that death it doesn't end because of our souls so we gotta view that as made in the image of God right and this isn't I want you to feel shame I can't imagine the circumstances if you've had an abortion right can't imagine but we as a church have to view this as God is gracious and he is forgiving and I want you to see the weight of what that is so you can understand the, the salvation and the grace that God offers but this is a life 
right? And so let me read a couple quick verses to you. Luke 1, It says, the baby in the womb, leap for joy. You'll hear that in just a second. Luke 2, 12. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know who that is? That's Jesus. In the womb, uh, that uses the word baby out of the womb. He's using the same exact word. And remember, Luke's a doctor. No one, I don't know someone who's better equipped to make that proclamation. Verse 216, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in a manger. There it is, baby again. Now watch this, Luke chapter 18, way down the road. Uh, now they were bringing infants to him. This is, they're bringing it to Jesus. The word infants there, same Greek word that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them, them to him saying, let the children come to me. Same word. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Watch. This, for such a kingdom of such, uh, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So Luke, in the womb, out of the womb, talking about Jesus, talking about all children, same exact words. So a child, an infant, a baby, all the same. And again, in Acts chapter 7, talking about the horrible things that Pharaoh did, it says this. He, that is the godless Pharaoh, this is again Luke writing, because he wrote the book of Acts, dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants. Right? See there again. So that they would not be kept alive. Again, babies, infants. Luke over and over again uses this word. So when he uses the womb, he is calling that life. So we got work to do there, right? But the work isn't we hold up signs, scream things, use our bullhorns. You know what the, you know what the work is? To be good neighbors. To know what's going on in your world. To love your community well. To love your neighbors well. To be a place that loves people. Here's, here's what we've said here for a long time. People always return to the last place they feel loved. And so we go, let's be a church where, where people are loved. So that when they're in the middle of a crisis, which is what an abortion is, a crisis, there's a crisis of faith, there's a crisis of concern about the future, there's all sorts of things. In the middle of a crisis, when people know that they're loved, they always, look at the story of the prodigal son, always go back to where they felt, last felt loved. So we go, let's be a church that does that. Now here's what's even crazier. So we think about gathering in our homes, about being good neighbors, about inviting people into community. Instead of going, let's be a church, where we love people, so when people are in crisis, they return to the last place they feel loved. Let's be individuals. Let's be Christ followers who love people well. So, as we love our neighbors well, as we love our coworkers well, as we love our students well, right? When they're in crisis, guess what they do? They come to us and we go, come into the community. You can do it. We can help. We can do those things, right? But that only happens if we do all the hard work on the front end, not the back end. Not screaming when the decision's being made, but loving people well on the front end. Figuring out how we participate in that and inviting people into community. So this baby, you see it, you see it there? It leaps in her womb, and you see what happens there? Filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary comes in, 100 miles, she walks, and all of a sudden what you see is there's this interaction. John the Baptist in her belly leaves. We'll talk about that in just a second. And Mary is there in Elizabeth in that moment, right? It's filled with the Holy Spirit. See what happened? So God spoke to Elizabeth. She believed. She gets pregnant, and as she believes. So God speaks. She believes, and all of a sudden there's this indwelling. The Holy Spirit comes, right? And so as you hear God's word, God loves you. As you understand and believe that these are, you can be certain of this. What's going to happen is the infilling of the Spirit is going to come into you. And watch what she says here. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. So you see this. Watch this what happens. So Mary, Elizabeth believes. Mary comes in. The baby leaps. She believes. She's so confident. And the, the Spirit fills her. And you see what she does next? She speaks blessings. See, in Proverbs, it says this. Um, that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so as we think about how we engage in this pandemic, this is crazy. She's 70-something probably, 80-something. She's six months pregnant. Can you imagine how her back feels? Can you imagine the amount of energy and time it is to be that old and that pregnant? Listen, there's a lot of things we can do here. There's a lot of reasons that she could complain about this. She could pause and go, oh my goodness, this is so terrible. I can't believe I'm pregnant. There's a lot of things to complain about. But you see what she decides to do instead? She is filled with joy. And what does she do? She speaks life. As we talk about being good neighbors, you want to know what the best way to be a good neighbor is? Speak life, right? So speak life, right? And so when we think about showing appreciation, that word appreciation literally means to add value as you speak life. 
people feel that appreciation, right? They, they add value. So we got to speak into people, right? This is prophecy, but we got to understand about prophecy is it's always true because it comes from God's word. You can speak life into all people. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. You can tell them that God loves them. Why? Because the scriptures tell us, you can tell them that God has done immeasurable work to make it, to, to forgive them and give them grace. So you can see them the way that God sees them through Jesus. They are his child, right? And so what you're going to see happen is she's going to believe and then she's going to speak life. You got that? Speak life. So she speaks these blessings, right? So here, remember again, uh, word of God comes, she believes, filled with the Spirit, and what does she start doing? She starts speaking blessings. Can we do that? Could you be a person who does that? When you go um, check out at a convenience store or grocery store, can you just look at someone and tell them you appreciate their hard work? Could you tell them God loves them? Could you, could you speak that life? Like, there's something about this in this world that is so filled with vitriol, right? Could you fill your Facebook post with life about what God's doing in your life? Not what's wrong with the, the, the government officials, not what's wrong with the fake news, but could we be people who are speaking blessing, blessings over people? I almost said blessings, like I, I'm, I'm from the South, right? Speaking blessings over people, right? Speaking blessings over people, right? The power of life and death is in the tongue. Do you believe that? Does your marriage reflect that? Do, you, do your kids believe that in you, right? Do you believe it? The sticks and stones have broke my bones, but words have never hurt me. Is a lie from the pits of hell. So can you speak blessing? So she says, she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. You got to see this, and this is broken in our culture. Do you see what she's saying is so amazing and what's such a good gift? Children. Children. Do your children believe that? Or do they think you're a nuisance? Do they think you're annoyed with them, right? Do they think, oh, what an inconvenience. You made the decision, or maybe you didn't make the decision, regardless. You made a decision that led to this decision that gives you a child. Like, can you see them as a gift from God? Because here's what she's saying. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Children are blessings, right? I got three of them, and they're blessings. Now, I can, I can complain, and I can whine, and I can make them feel how hard it is for me to be their parent, but they are blessings. Do they know that? Do you speak that? Do you speak that to your grandchildren? Do you speak that to your children? Do you speak that to the kids in your neighborhood? Right? They're blessings. Can we speak that into people? And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she goes, blessed are you. And why in the world? Like, you understand she could complain. She could be, you didn't, you didn't tell me you were coming. The house wasn't ready. I don't have a bed for you. She can see all those things in there. She can go, oh my goodness. There is no entitlement there. She is so grateful. She goes, how in the world could, could you come here? And she says there, the mother of my Lord should come with me. So she is literally saying, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't made lame people walk, blind people see, dead people live. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't done any of those things yet. He is in utero. And he is, he's the size of a kidney bean. <laughs> she says there, she goes, how in the world is it that granted to me that the mother of my, see that word? Lord. In that moment, she still knows that he is Lord. She has searched the scriptures. And long before he does, performs for her and gives her a reason, she goes, I've known I needed it. And here's the reality, guys. We know we need it. And she's known she's needed a Savior. You know, she's had this supernatural moment where she is not pregnant. And she's looking. She goes, blessed. Blessed are you among the women. Blessed is the fruit. And how could the mother of the Lord come? to me, right? This moment where she is going, I'm choosing to believe, right? Can you pause and go, there is no other way for me to get back to God on my own. So either God isn't loving or God is not real, but if he is loving and he is real, there must be a way for me to be reconciled to him, and that is the Lord. That's Jesus. Can you believe that? It's not because I'm going to walk through it with you on a whiteboard that you're finally going to be convinced about this. It is actually, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is going to make that known to you. Can you hear this word of God? There is a Savior, and he has paid the price for you, and he wants you in the kingdom. He has, he has literally died for you, right? We're looking at this in the back end of these scriptures, but he has died for you. God sent him into this world as Emmanuel, God with us, to show you how much he loved you, and then he died for you. That is the word of God, because he loves you, because he has a plan for you, and he actually wanted this pandemic to be a way that maybe you'd finally focus enough, go, God, are you out there? And listen to me, he is out there, and he loves you. Can you believe that? Can you call him Lord, right? You hear this, right? So first thing you hear is the word of God, and then she believes. Watch this. For behold, watch this. This is so beautiful. 
when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb <laughs> leaped for joy. You see this? You see this? Please, please, please. Oh, there's so much to talk about. I could talk for hours on this. I won't. I promise. But I could, right? That in this moment, this, this baby in the womb that we don't see as significant or have in value, it is actually the baby <laughs> that's leading them in worship. You see, it says leap for what? Joy. There's this moment when you finally get who God says, yes, you, 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 you hear it, and then you believe it, and then you can't help but just leap for joy. So she literally, this baby is leading this mom in worship. For I'm saying these things. I'm declaring that you are the Lord. Why? Because my baby is leading me in that direction. So John is leading. How is he leading? Through worship. So I want to talk to you a second about what worship is. So you see it, that I free greeting came to my ears. I heard it, and the baby leaped for joy. This is good news. Baby leaped for joy. And watch what it says next. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has, was spoken to her from the Lord. So baby leaves her. Worship is contagious. Joy is contagious. Let's, let's be contagious with that. Let's lead into our life and in our neighborhoods with joy. Not with grumbling. Not with complaining. But with joy about what God has given us. He has given you today. Why? So you can rejoice and be glad in it. You are breathing. You can see your family. You can connect. You can see a sunset today, right? You can experience all those things. There's so much joy to be had, and it's contagious. And she goes, but blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her. Once you hear this, because this, uh, this is what I want us to do, right? For some of you, this will be the very first time. For many of us, this will be a pattern that I hope happens for the rest of our life. Watch what happens first. Mary hears from God. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be King of kings, Lord of lords, and he will rule and reign forever. He'll be fully God. He'll be fully man. And he will be holy, meaning sinless, meaning he will pay the price for you. And he's always been the plan. Mary heard that. We saw it last week. So Mary hears this. Do you hear me? There is a Messiah. He has come. There's evidence for that. You can trace down back to the first century. There is a Messiah who was murdered, and then he came back to life. And then in the first century, you can put your finger on this moment where this exponential growth happened in the middle of suffering. Why? Because the Spirit of the living God came on people. Why? Because they heard this word. And guess what happens next? So she hears the word, and what she do? She believes. She actually believes it. Do you believe this? God, the God of the universe, loves you and sent you a Messiah. Regardless of what's going on out there, the God of the universe loves you and sent a Messiah so that he could be with you forever. Do you believe that? So Mary hears it, and she believes it. Right? She believes it. There would have not been a moment where her baby's kicking yet. It's tiny. So all this is external. She hears it. She believes it. You see what happens next? She hears it. She believes it. And then she receives this blessing for this. This isn't some word of faith, prosperity deal, but you've got to hear this. Blessing comes from belief, not from doing. Blessing doesn't come because you work hard. If it's to be, it's not up to you. Blessing, blessing comes from God. Meaning, if you can perform it and do it, it's not a blessing because God wants the credit for the blessing. So can you hear the word of God? He loves you. He's a plan for you. He has not forgotten you. And that plan includes now and to it through eternity. And can you believe that? And then what happens is this blessing. God wants to bless you. God wants you to see his favor. God wants to see your goodness, his goodness in your life, right? That might mean, not mean that you get a new car or a new job, but you know that means, that means you can take a deep breath. That means you can be fully present. That means you can look up, right? You can not believe that your worth and your identity and your provision comes from yourself, right? If nothing, that could just be a release. That means you don't have to fix the problems with the pandemic because God, God will. So can you believe that? Can you hear this word? Can you believe it? Can you get a blessing? And now watch what happens. When you get there, Mary gets there. When you get there, you see it with Elizabeth, and now you're going to see it with Mary. She responds. How does she respond? How does she respond? So there's this word of God. Here, here, you got it here, right? There's this belief. I believe. And there's this blessing. Oh, God is so good. God is so good. Oh, you're so good. You give me life. You give me fullness. You give me an attorney. You give me to get, allow time, right? The second to spin with my family. There's so much good. You get this. You get this blessing. You, how does she respond? Watch this. Verse 46. And boy, will we spend some time here next week. Not this week. Next week. Watch this. Verse 46. And Mary says, and this is going to be the song that Mary declares. And so Mary writes the song and she declares it. My soul magnifies the Lord. You see the pattern? Word of God goes out. There's a belief. You start believing this and trust this. There's a blessing that comes with the belief. And then now the result of that blessing is this response. And the response is worship. Now what is worship? 
is where our soul magnifies the Lord, right, right? You don't make God bigger. You understand a magnifying glass does not make anything bigger. It just brings a spotlight and helps people see what they couldn't see before. There's something about worship that highlights and puts the spotlight on God, right? So it says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So as we sort through our life and sort through the plans, the reality is God wants your soul to magnify him. He wants every single one of your days. He wants you to hear his word. He wants you to believe it. He wants you to receive the blessing. And then he wants you to, to help other people see him. So worship is exaltation. You sing and you declare his goodness. And we're about to do that together, right? You sing. But not only do you sing, you point people to him by loving them and serving them and meeting them there, inviting them into your home, inviting them into your living room, right? inviting them into a group where you can point to the goodness and the favor and the Lord. And the, and, the, and the favor and the goodness of the Lord, right? Could you do that? And that's what I love as we're going to finish this is kind of get to get to the back end of this where it starts with, do you believe this? Right? Have you heard it? Do you believe it? Can you receive the blessing of even right this second? Right this second, sitting wherever you are. You have a screen. You have a computer. Maybe you have some people around you. Could you just see the blessing of that? And then can your response be worship? And here's what worship is. It goes, I want to magnify you, which is this proclamation. This proclamation, yes, God, I will. Yes, God, I will. Yes, I'll serve you, even if it doesn't seem like you're here. Yes, God, even when you see me, I will serve you, and I will worship you. Yes, God, I'll keep walking forward into, into this belief that comes with a blessing. I'll do that. And so we're going to sing this together, this declaration of yes, I will. You can watch the words. You can watch the words on your screen. And then what's so beautiful is then we're going to finish with this, this song, this old hymn that generations and generations of saints have been believing in this praise that comes from this and it's called the doxology this song of praise so would you join me right now maybe you want to stand up maybe you want to pause it bring the other people in the, in the room maybe you just want to pause right now and just ask the Lord to help you believe and help you see the blessing but then when you're ready when you're ready when your time you can hit play and join us please 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 don't miss this join us in this song together count on one thing the same God that never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes I
Praise God from what, whom all blessings flow. And what I love about that is, like, as we praise Him, as we, we see His blessing and we respond to more of it, what we know is that our church has been in this for 294 years, looking and hearing God's Word, believing Him, being blessed by Him, and then responding and worshiping and magnifying Him. And, um, so we also know that the song, you know it if you've been around our church, even when it was at New London Presbyterian Church down the road in 1996, this was a song that you guys and your parents and your grandparents sang. And what I love about singing that together just reminds us of the history of this, that God has this church, has had this church, and will continue to have this church into the future. Such great confidence to have there. And what I need you to know is the way by which God has done that is he's actually um, organized a group of leaders. They're called elders year after year to, to um, hold tight to the vision and mission of our church and protect it and guide it and govern it. And, um, so every year we uh, add some new elders as old elders kind of uh, rotate off. And so this year we'll be adding four new elders. And the way by which we add elders, by the way, that's just another term in the scriptures for um, pastor. That's actually the word presby- That's where we get the word Presbyterian in the, in the Greek. That's why the, the denomination is sent. Uh, Presbyterian. The way by which that works is um, we ask our church family, that's all of you, uh, that's you listening on, on podcasts, that's you online right now, that's out, uh, the folks who are going to be in person at the drive-in. We ask you to make recommendations of people who are full, full of wisdom and discernment. Not to be elders, but to go before the Lord, spend some time in prayer, and ask God to reveal who this next round of elders um, will, will be. And so what I'd love for you to do right this moment— just pause for a second. What's so beautiful about doing it online is you can hit pause, you can wait for a while, and, but you would love to hear from you, some people that you think are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Those are the people who magnify the Lord, right? Would you just uh, come up with some names that you think would be wise to go before the Lord and ask God who the next round of elders. You're not nominating elders. You're nominating a committee of people that would then uh, uh, nominate some elders that we'd then bring back before you to vote. So elder nominating committee, if you would do that, there's a couple ways to do that. You can email us at info at clcfamily.church or we're also going to have it in person on, um, in our drive-in service. So now would be a good time or throughout this week, next couple of days, would you just uh, send us an email, email uh, info at clcfamily.church. Let us know of some people that you'd recommend for the nominating committee. Other than that, stay, stay with us. Stay uh, connected. If you haven't been a part of our—if um, you don't get our newsletter, I, would you send us an email letting us know that you would like to get the newsletter each week, and we send that to you every Friday because we want you to know what's going on. I want you to participate because big, exciting things are happening around here because God is doing—always doing big and exciting things. Love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Enjoy your week. Be blessed and be a good neighbor. Love you guys.